us bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here as family this evening. Thank you for truth that sets us free, and thank you for making it available to us for whenever we need it. Father, we're so grateful for all the grace you poured out into our lives. Uh, so grateful for the ability to share in it and to pass it along to others, Father, and in that process be blessed by it. Father, we pray for those that aren't here this evening that desire to be, that this message find their way, its way to them, that they be edified by it. We pray also for those that are still lost in this world, Father, without hope, that they be humbled in the right way so that they might receive saving faith. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to make an evening like this a reality just to rejoice in, Father. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part five of the other side of grace. If you didn't uh, get a chance to hear the Resurrection Sunday message, I encourage you to take the time to listen in. Um, always a fantastic message from God the Holy Spirit. No different this past Sunday, of course. Uh, but I do want to give you a quick highlight reel. Um, beginning with the eternal nature of Jesus, go to John 8.58. John 8.58, a wonderful place to begin on the topic of resurrection, the very linchpin of our faith, John 8.58, <clears throat> Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's his way of just saying, I'm eternal. And that's something we have to cling to. To complement that, the Spirit gave us this up here on the board. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so he doesn't change his mind, his doctrines, the way that he thinks, the way that he acts, his graciousness towards us, his love towards us, it's never changed. His motivation for all the above, it's never changed. The perspective imparted to us was that since Jesus is eternal, then so is the good news about him, namely his gospel. And understanding this becomes a reason for so much gratitude. So much gratitude. Um, because it wasn't even happenstance, you understand? Like, from eternity past, God knew that he would save you. From eternity past, that gospel was set in stone. So the whole of it is eternal in nature. 
Um, and it's just an overwhelming sense of gratitude. We might even borrow from the Bible up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. I mean, even what I just mentioned. To think about another person outside of the boundaries or the construct of time, before human history even began, before time was even, what, something we could conceptualize. I am, he said. And so it's inexpressible. And that's okay. It's appropriate, actually. Regarding Sunday's special message, the Spirit used 1 Corinthians 15 as our working framework. And a key element of that message was the fact that since the gospel of Jesus Christ is, in fact, eternal, it transcends time. In other words, the good news about your salvation pre-existed humanity itself. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1, again, just review from Sunday, uh, wonderful opportunity really to revisit so much goodness from that message. First Corinthians 15.1, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In other words, it was prophesied. Uh, it was known even um, beforehand which is really a viewpoint, if you would, into the fact that the gospel transcends time. If, you can, if it's prophesied, obviously time has no, no uh, element there or no bearing uh, to the truth of it. So here's a key principle from Sunday up here on the board. The ancient truth, the gospel transcends human history as we think of it. For it was planned by God from eternity past. God has always known that his creatures would fall and that he would save them. There was never a time where salvation wasn't an option, for God is immutable. And the Son of God has always wanted to die for us, Hebrews 13, 8. Whenever we use the term transcendence, then, we ought to remember the entire sphere of God. This is how God functions. God is not bound by the construct of time. And so we realize quickly, once we understand that, that this gospel, this salvific plan for us, has always been. It's always been. And for that, I'm very grateful. Uh, it just wasn't happenstance. It wasn't any of the way that we in our natural flesh would think about it. And so when we think about the term transcendence, we have to think about the entire sphere of God. <clears throat> and as a side note up here on the board, just so happens that this week's blog is titled The Sphere of God. The Sphere of God. Again, up here on the board, the ancient truth. The gospel transcends human history as we think of it. 
for it was planned by God from eternity past. God has always known that his creatures would fall and that he would save them. There was never a time where salvation wasn't an option, for God is immutable, and the Son of God has always wanted to die for us. Huh. Hebrews 13.8 The Spirit also gave us this as well to chew on, on the topic of the ancient truth. Jesus Christ has always been our Lord and Savior. Always. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Before Abraham was, I am. So he is who he is. He's always been our Lord and Savior. He is that person of the Godhead uniquely as the Son of God and Son of Man. He owns all the titles, including Victor, as we um, looked at on Sunday, including Victor, and deserves every last ounce of love and respect he demands from us, Romans 5.17. The net-net is that Sunday's celebration of our Lord's resurrection, and therefore the substance of our own resurrection, which is in the future, is a celebration of victory that transcends time. So when we think about it that way, when we think about celebrating Resurrection Sunday, we think about celebrating a victory that transcends time because it's always been a fact. As far as God is concerned, that victory has been fact, just like this is lip balm, literally. Even more than this, that was a fact to God. And that's very reassuring because that's what our hope is based on. That's what our faith is based on. Facts like that. See, that's what I love about uh, having the Bible. The Bible really is factual. People want to spiritualize it to their own detriment. Obviously, unbelievers want to discount it to their own detriment. But the truth be told, this is the greatest list of, or book of facts we have. Honestly. You say, oh, well, no, this is it. This is more real than this. The facts in here are more real than this. And they're certainly more permanent than this. That's how you got to look at it. That's how God looks at it. Right? So we, we celebrate a victory that transcends time. That was the big message, if you would, out of the gate on Sunday. This victory transcends sin and death itself. Since Jesus Christ overcame the grave and we are baptized into union with him at salvation, really, the only thing we can do to mess it up is to lose perspective. That's it. Because it's a fact. And it's pre-existed all of us. So the only thing we can really do is to mess it up is to lose perspective on it. To lose our bearings. To be, I don't know, what, distracted by the white noise, the details of life. To let all that garbage out there distract us to the point where we're not able to focus on 
this, the facts here. That's really the only way we can mess it up. Again, on the board, Jesus Christ has always been our Lord and Savior. He is that person of the Godhead uniquely as the Son of God and Son of Man. He owns all the titles, including Victor, and deserves every last ounce of love and respect he demands from us. And that's been a thread in our other course of study is that love, you know, is commanded. And that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Uh, here's the scripture in the Amplified Classic, Romans 517, since I quote it there. For if because of one man's trespass, lapse, or offense, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited uh, favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. All right, let's finish our review. Go to, uh, you still in 1 Corinthians 15? All right, verse 3. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so we just took a brief pause there on the topic of fitness up here in the board. And it was really a point of review for us. I've taught on this several times in the past that fitness is a mindset. It's, it's not an achievement in the sense. It's, it's a mindset. It's you want to be fit. You don't have to be a GQ model right, or on the cover of Cosmo or whatever, you just need to be fit. And I'm, you know, I'm not talking about just physical, I'm talking about spiritual, most of all. You just got to be tuned up. You got to be fit. You got to exercise. You got to take in the Word of God. You got to let it, I don't know, gyrate in your soul and, and, and work out the kinks and knead it out and, and let it do its magic and pray on it. That's what it means to be fit. If you have that, chances are you'll be emotionally fit as well. And so that's what I mean by fitness is a mindset. It's not an achievement. It's not, oh, I read, uh, you know, 10 chapters this week. So therefore, I'm really, you know, I'm bulked up this week. That's garbage. That's, that's legalistic thinking. It's not about achievements. It's about a mindset. Paul was saying that if he were to stand on his own merits, he'd not be fit. And yet God made him an apostle by grace. In other words, by the grace of God alone, Paul was made fit. By the grace of God alone, Paul was made fit. We borrow from Spurgeon, 
to help drive this home up here on the board, Charles Spurgeon. Learn this lesson, not to trust Christ because you repent, but trust Christ to make you repent. Not to come to Christ because you have a broken heart, but to come to him that he may give you a broken heart. Next. Not to come to him because you are fit to come, but to come to him because you are unfit to come. Your fitness is your unfitness. Your qualification is your lack of qualification. And that's all Paul was really saying. He's like, I was, I'm unfit to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So let's continue. Look at verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. On my own merits, I'm a, I'm a dirtbag. I'm less than garbage. And yet, Jesus called him out personally as an apostle. And he wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. So there's your testament to grace. And that's verse 10. He says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. In other words, he never lets himself get ahead of himself. Right? For the sake of time, let's jump a few verses where Paul makes his case against those who supposed there's no such thing as resurrection. Go to verse 13. So there was a group um, in the audience, if you would, that said, no, there's no resurrection. There's no such thing. So he says, all right, but if there is no resurrection, excuse me, of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. You see where that logical conclusion ends. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Ow. That's where that argument ends. So here's the perspective uh, we want to capture here up on the board <clears throat> relative to Christ's resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is our proof that he overcame death itself. Death had no hold on him. Therefore, he is victorious over it, as are we being baptized into union with him at salvation. And so to help with this, we read Romans 6, 4, and he amplified up here on the board. We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. In other words, be jazzed up about this. Walk the walk. Walk in newness of life, abandoning your old ways. The Bible teaches us, in fact, that Jesus was resurrected for, 
for our justification. In other words, his resurrection is the linchpin of our faith. Without it, according to Paul, the apostle, our faith would be worthless. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin of our faith. For according to Holy Scripture, without it, again, our faith would be in vain. Up here on the board, Romans 4.25 in the Amplified Classic. Who was betrayed and put to death because of our misdeeds and was raised to secure our justification, our acquittal, making our account balance and absolving us from all guilt before God. Without, without uh, the resurrection, all that's for naught. Again, up here on the board, the resurrection of Jesus is our proof that he overcame death itself. Death had no hold on him, therefore he is victorious over it as are we, being baptized into union with him at salvation. Hold your thumb there, go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. So this is the mindset, this is the, um, this is the perspective that the Spirit gave us on Sunday. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That sounds an awful lot like Paul, doesn't it? We are justified by our faith. The resurrection is the justification, if you would. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We might echo Paul's words, I am what I am by the grace of God. And therefore, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so hopefully you see how that all fits together. Um, back to Sunday's main passage now, where Paul makes the dogmatic statement about our faith being tied to Christ's resurrection. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, 16. 1 Corinthians 15, 16. You should still have been held there, right? Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And that's sad. But that would be the truth of it. If there is no such thing of, as the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is worthless and we ought to be pitied. But our faith is not in vain. That's the argument. Because the truth is that Christ has been raised from the dead. Verse 20, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. 
Jump forward to verse 57. 1557. We get to the crux of the matter. This was the celebration on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you see, so he's saying, with that mindset, you have this victory. It is eternal. It preexisted mankind. It's transcendent, this victory. Therefore, with that in mind, in other words, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You are not one to be pitied, in other words. That's, this isn't even the end game for us. This isn't even close to as good as it gets for us. So just know that your toil, and anybody, I mean, I'm tired today, right? I toiled a lot today. Anybody else kind of tired? A lot of toil, right? I mean, you're tired, but you do everything as unto the Lord. That says, that's, so says Holy Scripture. Whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord. So you might be tired, but so be it. Um, your labor is not in vain. You're bringing glory to God. You made it here. At the end of that wearisome day, you made it here. Now you're being fed a meal. That labor, today's labor, whatever it was that wore you out, it wasn't in vain. As long as you did it as unto the Lord, it was not in vain. So keep your chin up. That's the point. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Which is everything, right? Which is basically everything. I'm going to generalize it. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so here's our conclusion from Sunday's beautiful message up here in the board. Your faith is justified. You are indeed justified in your celebration of victory over death. Not because you won it, but rather that you've been baptized into union with the victor himself. Who, by the way, said before Abraham was, I am? Who, by the way, has never changed? Who is immutable? Who always planned on saving you? Who knew he would save you? We call that predestination, foreordination, all those big fancy words. Oh. All you need to know is that he knew before you were even born, he knew before human history. The gospel was real before human history. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Again, you are indeed justified in your celebration of victory over death, not because you want it, but rather that you've been baptized into union with the victor himself. This is why we find this encouragement in the final verse, verse 58 again. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, rock solid, in other words, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We ended on Sunday with a reading of the famous song from Ian Bartlett. And I'll just give you the first stanza this time up here in the board. Victory in Jesus. 
I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on cavalry to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Amen? Oh, I love that song. How do you say that? I have such a hard time doing that without singing. Are you singing it in your head? Probably, right? Thanks for not singing out loud, though. I guess nobody caught that. They're all sleeping, DJ. Look at that, they're offended. It is hard to, to say that without singing. Anyways, if you, again, if you didn't attend or watch Sunday's Resurrection Sunday uh, special message, I encourage you to do so. Heck, even if you did, why not, right? Wonderful. With that said, we've got to change gears and get back to our mini-series titled The Other Side of Grace. This is part five. Again, I thought, I thought we'd be done, but God has other plans. So The Other Side of Grace, part five. Um, here's a good place to reconnect with our series, given that it speaks to the value of giving grace, not just receiving it up here on the board. Because remember, that's where uh, the other side of grace is not just the receiving. It's the other side. It's the giving part. That's what the emphasis in that this mini-series that we're on, that's what it's been on, is the other side, the giving part of grace. Hebrews 4, uh, 12, 14 to 15, the Amplified reads, Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. That's why we give ourselves, we give all of us, that's Romans 12, run, 12, one, 12, one. we give all of us <laughs> to the Lord, without which no one will ever see the Lord. That's our gift, right? Remember we talked about that, that arguably the greatest thing you can ever give someone is you. Did everybody hear that? That was really loud. Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Remember, your work, your toil in the Lord is not in vain. The great litmus test is love, as we've learned up here in the board. Romans 12, 9, 17 to 18. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What's the vehicle? What's the great litmus test? Love. Therefore, let love be genuine. Don't be a hypocrite. So the conclusion is up here on the board, as we get back into our primary course of, well, our primary course of study in terms of this mini-series, grace giving. When a person sees the Lord in you, they see the love that motivates you, and they will treasure your gifts. 
When a person sees the Lord, and that's, that's what we just read in Hebrews. That's the end goal. They see the love that motivates you, and they will treasure your gifts. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, this is how they will know you're from me. Because you what? Love one another. That's how Jesus said it to his own disciples. He said, the world's going to know that you're mine because of your love for one another. And that's what's ultimately attractive in this world. There's so much fake love and hatred and vitriol and venom and all that stuff. And everybody's like, you know, mm, it's all fake. And they're a bunch of phonies and everybody's in it for themselves. There's no real love until you run into someone that truly loves Christ, that is in love, remember? In love. Not just, oh, I love. No, in love, in the sphere of love. That person you can see. Because that person is unflappable, untouchable, immovable. That person you can pull out of a crowd and say, I want what that person has. Because they're not a hypocrite. Because their love is genuine. I want that kind of love. Jesus commanded us to love all people in every circumstance. Without prejudice. Without prejudice. You know, Jesus is the same person who said, oh great, you lend to this one, you love that one. Big deal. Even unbelievers do that. Try lending and loving your enemies. Go to Luke 6.35. Now we're talking about love. Now we're talking about a real test. Because it's really easy to say you're a loving person when everybody in your vicinity is lovable. Amen? What happens when I show up? Right? Like, oh man. Dear Lord. Right? Luke 6.35 but love your enemies. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Because that's how God is. You want to you claim us, stake a claim to the sphere of love? Well, then you have to be like God then. Love your enemies. Last time I checked, you were an enemy of him until you were saved. Just saying. Paul echoed Jesus' words, Romans 12, 14, up here on the board. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless and do not curse them. So what's the point? The point is that true love transcends all circumstances as per Holy Scripture. True love transcends all circumstances. It's delivered without prejudice. Go to Proverbs 10, 12. Proverbs 10, verse 12. <clears throat> True love transcends all circumstances. Proverbs 10, 12. <clears throat> it 
What do we have here? Hatred. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. In other words, love transcends all circumstances. Who cares if the person's lovable or not? If they're lovable, if they just sinned against you. In some ways, I mean, that's what Jesus was getting at. Which one's a greater test of love? Towards the lovable one or the one who just sinned against you? Which one's a greater tax on your love? Pretty obvious. But God's love says love your enemies. So again, godly love loves without prejudice. Easier said than done, though, sometimes, huh? Yeah, it really is. Um, last Thursday, the Spirit gave us some additional thoughts, though, on this. When we get stuck, beginning with compassion. Is that just, it just like puts that, it just puts a stick in the spokes. Remember when you were a kid and your dastardly friend would throw a stick in your spokes and you flip over the handlebars? That's like when you're trying to be a grouch and, and you're trying to hold a grudge. And you're mad. I'm mad at you. You know, you have to play the whole, you know, I'm mad. And then compassion comes along. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, how about being a little compassionate? And you're like, oh, and flip over the handlebars. Yeah, that's compassion. It just stops all the presses. It just says, yeah, what am I doing? Like, why am I being this way? Why have I lowered my standards? Why have I become the greater sinner to whom much is given, much is required. Why have I become the judging person, the judgmental, condemning person, the vindictive one? And God says at the very top, I don't like haughty eyes. I think it's Proverbs 16, 7. Haughty eyes, I hate. When did I become that person? When you lost compassion, my friend. When you turned into judge and jury. When you forgot where you came from, how much Jesus forgave you, that's when it happened. And that's what we call lacking compassion. And so the Spirit said, all right, so if it's tough sometimes, and you lose your bearings, your perspective, think about the word compassion. In other words, if you're struggling right now with, quote, loving your enemies, then adopt a new perspective. Like, stop. Flip over the handlebars, that's what it takes, and adopt a new perspective. I'm saying this for you. Like, who wants to be miserable? When you have a problem with someone, you're miserable, right? But if you exercise a little compassion, you just went from misery to love. Now, all of a sudden, wait a minute. So I'm, I'm no longer miserable. I'm actually free. Matter of fact, I'm on the other side now. Now I want to give compassion. Now I want to pray for this person. Now I want that person to realize that I love them enough to show them the other cheek, right? Next thing you know, you're in, you're in great shape. And so what you really need is just a little strategy. You can do it inside of your own soul. Whenever you get vindictive towards someone or you know that venom comes out of you, stop and say, I'm suffering here right now. This is bad for my spiritual health, my emotional health, my physical health. This is bad for me all around. So what should I do? 
Stop. Take a deep breath. Show a little compassion. Be humble. Go to Colossians 3.12. It's a wonderful strategy, I'm telling you. Colossians 3, verse 12. Once you realize that when someone sins against you, it has nothing to do with you, when you don't, you don't have to take it personal, in other words, you all of a sudden you're free. You're free to show compassion. Because it's them. They're the ones with the problem. Colossians 3.12 Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Right? It's like Salah. Just yes. Yes. Put on love. Find that peace and be thankful. Say, what a strategy. You mean I can get out of this? Someone just punched me in the face. Yep. You can elevate, you can transcend, you can love. And as a result, you are going to be thankful to God. Because if you don't do those things, guess what? You're miserable. You're dropping the hockey gloves. You're not sleeping at night. You're finding ways of revenge. You know, I mean, I don't do this, but you probably do. Plot revenge. <laughs> I'll get them. Right? <laughs> Aren't you? Because that, I mean, you lose sleep over that silliness. Aren't you grateful to God that you're not plotting? Have compassion the way Jesus did, and you won't struggle so much with loving your enemies. Imagine that. Have a little compassion the way Jesus did, and you won't struggle so much with loving your enemies. I mean, who are we to not have compassion in the first place? Oh, we'll take Jesus' compassion, won't we? We'll take heaven. We'll take forgiveness of all our sins, but God forbid someone sins against me. I will never forget this. <laughs> right? Oh, but we'll take Jesus' forgiveness. Oh, we'll take his compassion. Yeah. We're awful. Think about it. I was thinking about Jesus. Every unbeliever Jesus ran into was technically his enemy. And he was surrounded by them. Right? Think about it. Even his own family members didn't believe in him in the beginning. Up here on the board, James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you a friend of the world? Hmm. You can answer that. Confess it. By the way, no lawyering your way out of this command to love. Stephen was a, quote, regular guy, just like you and I, and yet he was a type of Christ. Go to Acts 7.59. Acts 7.59. What about Stephen? Well, he wasn't Jesus. What, what, was he, what did he do? 
How did he respond when people were stoning him to death? Imagine having someone throw a stone at your face or drop a boulder on your head and say, die. Or take one to the rib cage, I don't know, the throat, to the temple, to the finger, to the foot, to the kneecap. Maybe, maybe they just shatter your kneecap while you're sitting there rolling around on the ground with a boulder. How about that? How about one bounces off your spine and cracks your spine? How about that? Anybody been there lately? Okay, Stephen was. Yeah, Stephen died from that. Some of you are like, they just did this to me. Yeah. And as they were stoning Stephen, verse 59, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. There you go. So don't just say, oh, Jesus was God, so of course he could do it. No, Stephen wasn't. Just saying. A little compassion goes a long way. Amen? A little compassion. Stephen knew that these people were ignorant. A little compassion goes a long way, but it begins with a change of perspective. Being a giver rather than just a receiver, makes all the difference. In fact, it seems the Bible encourages us to focus on giving more than receiving, especially the more we grow up. Leaving the latter issue up to God. In other words, I'm not going to worry about receiving because God promises to fill my cup. So why would I even have to worry? I'm going to spend my life living for others. Greater love is no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. I'm going to live for others. I'm going to let God take care of the gazintas. I'm going to take care of the gazatas, right? Anybody ever heard that? Gazintas and gazatas? No. Whatever comes in, whatever goes. I'm going to take care of the stuff that goes out. I'm going to let God take care of what comes in. And that's the way of the Bible. That's what the Bible tells us. To, that's how the Bible tells us to live. God says, I'll take, I take care of the sparrows, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. You worry about giving grace, giving love to others so that the rest of the world can see you, my disciple, because that's how they see you. That's how they know that you're from me, is from your love. Our job, which is the law above all others, is to love. When we love, we abide in the sphere of God, where all the blessings are. Hence Jesus' words up here on the board, John 15, 10 through 11, the Amplified. If you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. So wait a minute. So you, you're saying you're saying if I put this together, if 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 I just focus on laying down my life for others, loving others, giving to others, my joy may be full and complete and overflowing. Yeah. This is the best. This 
What did Jesus say? It's more blessed to give, right? This is the best. This is better than this even. Let God take care of that. You worry about this. This, if you really want to pervert the whole thing, this is me, 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 right? What do I get? This is you, you, you. This is others, others, others. And, and, and this reality, this truth, is the exact opposite from what the world teaches you. The world will say, get as much as you can for yourself. Right? When a billionaire's past, the man with the most toys wins in the end. You know? That's all it's about. Look at all the celebrities. Look at Hollywood. That's what it's all about. Get whatever's yours. Scratch, bite, cheat, steal. It doesn't matter. People just forget. Once you're rich, people don't even care how you got the money. Right? Why do you think people like John Gotti were like, like idols? The dude was a killer. Why, do, why, why was The Sopranos so loved as a TV show? I never watched the episode. Just I'm being serious. But why was it such a... Why? Why did people make heroes out of mob, mobsters who killed people? Because they had power, they had money. It was, by modern day standards, prestigious. People don't even care how people get money anymore. They don't even care how they got famous. Look at the Kennedys. Probably going to get murdered now. Right? Been nice knowing you. Right? Guy was a bootlegger. Right? Nobody even cares. They run the, half the country for years and years. It's unbelievable. We are, it's, it's the exact opposite. That's what I'm trying to say. So we need to begin wrapping up the other side of grace, this mini-series starting with where we left off last Thursday up here on the board. I alluded to this earlier, being in love, right? This isn't a romance novel. This is legit. There's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love, John 15, 11 through 14. <clears throat> No better place for you to be. Um, as we ended with a few weeks ago now, we are blessed for loving others the way Christ did. Christ gave it all. And he was blessed. And we're blessed for loving the way he did. We are blessed to, quote, bear our own cross, to borrow from Luke 14, 27. He bore his cross for the joy set before him. He endured it, right? What was the motivation? Love. He wanted to make it to the cross. He wanted to die for our sins, just like he knew he would from eternity past. So we ought to bear our cross. And that gives us purpose. And there's few things in this life that are more valuable than purpose. Having purpose. Knowing that God woke you up for yet another day because you have purpose. I don't know. I don't know what a life without purpose would be like. I don't know. I think that's why people uh, commit suicide sometimes because they, don't, they certainly don't have Christ uh, and therefore they don't have any purpose. Or maybe they had a purpose for a, for a season and because 
it was just fleeting because it was worldly, because it was garbage, because it was based on human exhausting tactics. Once it failed, guess what? They had nothing. They had no more purpose. So they said, I've got no more purpose. I'm going to jump off a bridge. Can you imagine that? Getting to that point. Christ relieves you from all that. That's the beauty of knowing him. One of the great benefits is that you have purpose. You wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what it's going to be today, but I know the Lord. I have faith that the Lord has a purpose for me. How do I know? Because my eyes opened. I'm still breathing, right? My family's still acting berserk. I can hear them already out there. <laughs> right? I have a purpose. I have a purpose. We have been given a love that transcends all circumstances, covers sin, sets us free to shower it even upon others. So let us receive God's divine wisdom and his encouragement here, my friends. Let us receive God's grace. And finally, let us give his precious grace to others. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us to this point, Father, where it's just simple, easy to see. Thank you for perspective that changes our ways, Father, allows us to be truly loving through compassion, forgiveness, mercy, grace. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've imparted to our souls this evening. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our own souls, our homes, and your will be done to a world that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.